Uh, this morning, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about worship as a spiritual practice. We've been talking about different spiritual practices throughout Lent. And this morning, we're talking about worship. We can talk about worship in the, in the big sense, and I might talk about that a little bit um, in the sense that uh, everything can almost be considered worship of God or the creation worships God, and we heard some of that in, in part of the reading. Um, but I'd like us to focus a little bit on what we're doing here Sunday after Sunday. Um, worship in the sense of our weekly uh, gathering together and really try to get at, well, why, why do we do this? Why ought we gather for public worship together? Um, there's private worship, there's family worship, there's the worship that's going on out in the world of the creation to the creator, but really we're talking about this event, this why we gather uh, for public worship each week. And um, I think when you ask people, um, Christians, or even ask yourselves, or you've been asked this question about maybe what is important about coming to church. We might not say it about why do we worship, but it might be, well, why do we go to church every week? Um, what's important about it? I think lots of times we can't quite put our finger on what it is um, that keeps us coming back. Um, I'll hear lots of answers to that kind of question, like it keeps me grounded. Um, or it sets up my whole week. Um, I get, uh, you know, renewed energy and it kind of gives me a focus for my week. Um, others will say, well, I, I don't know, but I know that when I don't go to church, then something is off for the rest of the week. That's not, I'm not, uh, I don't fight, quite feel right about the rest of my week. Um, but some of those answers don't really tell us much about worship, do they? Um, they might be true but they're kind of just trying to put our finger on a personal thing that's going on on the inside that is really kind of hard to, uh, to get at. And what's interesting about these answers as well is that there's, there's many people for whom worship is not central and is not part of their week, and they just have other ways of finding focus and setting up their week and feeling like they have energy. And if they don't do those things, they feel like something is off for the rest of the week. So it's not that, that worship actually has any special effect that gives us those things throughout our week because there's plenty of others who, uh, who do things that, that help them um, throughout their week. And many of those people uh, don't believe in God. Many of those people do believe in God. And there's lots of people who believe in God, believe, say they believe in Jesus, and they don't come to church at all. Or they come twice a year. So what is it about worship that is important? Why should we bother? Why should we keep doing this? There's something about uh, getting together in all this. Why do we go to the movies anymore? Because we've got TVs and Netflix and bigger TVs and good sound systems. Why do we go to plays? Why do we go to theater? Why do we go to sporting events? Why do we go to concerts? All those things we can get in our home, yet people still want to go to these kinds of events. There's something about being with other people 
that seems to make some kind of difference. Now, those are all kind of entertainment kinds of events. I'm going to say a little more about how this is not really an entertainment kind of event. But what about things that are not entertainment kinds of events, that where we get together for specific reasons? Why do we go to weddings? Why do we bother with those? Why do we have funerals? Um, why do we have opening and closing ceremonies at different things, sporting events? And, and I don't think it actually is for the entertainment value of those opening and closing ceremonies. I know the Olympics is a giant production and all of that, but, you know, curling bond spiels and things like that have opening and closing ceremonies. Why do we do those kinds of things? Now, there's something different about the entertainment events and the sort of getting together uh, for a purpose kind of events. They're still getting together with people, but those things like weddings and funerals and things like opening and closing ceremonies, we're, we're actually engaging in some kind of ritual. Okay? We, some church people really don't like that word and think that you know, we, should, uh, we should be more contemporary than that. But no matter how contemporary you are, you're still going to have some kind of ritual that's going on. Um, some churches, they will say, well, we don't have any liturgy or anything like that. And really what they mean is, is that their liturgy is the band comes up on stage and starts playing the opening song. And people then at some part, part point are invited to sing. And then somebody will pray. And then the band will stop after about half an hour or 40 minutes. And then a preacher will come up and maybe do some announcements and then do a sermon. And then everyone will go home. That's actually, and then they do that week after week after week. That means they have a ritual. They have a tradition of that's what they do. It might be a newer tradition than some of what Presbyterian roots are um, or Catholic roots are, of a way longer tradition. But they still have one and there's still a ritual. Uh, opening and closing ceremonies at sports events, they're engaging in a ritual. Um, it's something that has been done over and over. There might be slight variations, but there's certain things that have to happen. Like the Olympic flag has to be brought in. The, the torch has to be lit. And I don't know about you, when I watch the Olympic uh, opening ceremonies, I fast forward through an awful lot um, to try to get to, oh, but now I want to watch the torch being lit. Why? I've seen the torch lit every four years. Like, I mean, the other stuff is, is all the new stuff, which I actually couldn't care less about. I'm way more interested in seeing the torch being lit. Like, because I think people naturally connect to ritual, to things that we do over and over again. Um, another instance of this where it's not about public gathering, but about family gatherings. Think about uh, traditions that you have in your family and how important they become. We don't want to do away with traditions in the church because, uh, because we connect to those things. We connect to, to rituals and to ceremony. Uh, all of you probably have some kind of ceremony or ritual associated with how you celebrate Christmas. In my family, stockings have to be open before any other presents. That's a ritual. We cannot break it. We do not open any presents on Christmas Eve in my family. Some of you probably do that, and you're wrong. That's an incorrect tradition. <laughs> 
that would never happen in my family. It's because we get so attached to these things. Like, we should never do what I just did, right? Say we're wrong and that kind of thing. There are different ways of doing it. But, but we, get, we get attached to them. That's exactly what we do. We do that with church. But there's something about being together and, and enacting and being involved in these kinds of things that happen either week after week or year after year. There's something about them. What is it about the, the folks who come to church maybe only twice a year? When do they come? Christmas and Easter. Why do they come at Christmas and Easter? Because they're engaging in ceremony and tradition and ritual. There's still something there for them. That's part of that celebration, that festival time. So worship is, is this opportunity to kind of, uh, sometimes it feels like just going through the motions, but there's deep meaning in it. And I think that might be what we point to when we say, well, when I miss it, there's just something missing. We've lost that connection uh, to that ritual, that commemoration. Now, this is all well and good, but it's actually completely empty if we take the who out of worship. If we just make it about what we do, then we might as well be at the opening ceremonies to the Olympics or whatever it is. Worship is only worship because of who we're worshiping. And we need to remember our focus. Um, human beings were made actually naturally to, to worship, I believe. We will automatically, and maybe this is why we connect so quickly to tradition and ritual, but we will naturally worship someone or something. And this is maybe the bigger picture of, of worship what happens when God is not the focus of our worship is that we will just make other things into God. We'll worship other stuff. And we'll put those things in the first place rather than putting God in the first place. So it might be our careers or it might be our families. Like sometimes it's really positive things that we put in the first place. Like we'll put our kids in the first place. And so we worship our kids and we'll shuttle them all around to all kinds of things and sacrifice all kinds of stuff for our children. And yet what we've done in doing that sometimes is we've replaced, uh, we've made our children into objects of worship, which is not really appropriate at all. Because what we ought to be doing with our children is teaching our children who it is that is the true subject of worship, who it is that we ought to be worshiping, instead of making our children into that or making whatever it is into that. The who of worship is fundamentally important and we're going to worship somebody or something in, you know, whatever, whatever way we do. What corporate worship does then is it reminds us of where the focus ought to be. The Westminster Catechism um, has, is a series of questions that are posed, and the first question, does any, I'm gonna, here's the quiz. What's the first question of the Westminster Catechism? Ah, oh, good, we've got some answers, that's fantastic. Um, what is the chief end of man, or what is the purpose of human life, I guess, if you wanna use uh, more modern language. What is the chief end of man, and what's the answer? To glorify God. Yes, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
And uh, isn't that great? Because that's, that's basically saying our purpose is to worship God, to glorify God. And then Presbyterians have been great at remembering the first half and not so great at remembering the second half. Oh, our purpose is to worship God, so let's solemnly worship God together. Uh, but you know what? It's also we're supposed to enjoy him forever as well. So glorify God and enjoy it. It should be joyful. It's supposed to be joyful. And it will be joyful when our focus is in the right place. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard noticed in his time in the, in the 1800s, he, he looked at the churches around him and he said, worship is really a drama. That's what's going on. It's like a theater production. And he said, but most churches, when I look around, the way they have it set up is that God is the prompter. God is the one kind of talking to the, to the actors and the actors are the worship leaders up on the stage. And God is prompting them. And the people are the audience who come week after week to, to take in the show. So God prompts the leaders. The people come and they listen to the, to the leaders to get some kind of message. And you'll notice that actually sounds kind of like what we're doing. And what lots of churches do. And he said, that's, that's actually wrong, though. That's not how it is. It's still a drama, but the worship leaders are supposed to be the prompters. The people are the actors, and God is the audience. Okay, so what's supposed to happen is up here, you've got some people who will help you, and we're like, okay, we're going to learn a song today. And we're going to help you to be able to worship do the drama, and we offer that up to God who is watching us and is pleased with the performance. That's what Kierkegaard said, and I think it's absolutely right. So really, you know, I, there's a lot of talking that happens up here, but in the end, the talking is pointless if it doesn't do anything to help us worship God. That's really what sermons are about. And you'll get some churches that'll talk about how worship is that first part where we're, where we're playing music, that music is basically worship, and then there's a teaching time. And certainly some sermons are more teaching, like this one is a little more teaching, but the real role of sermons is actually to try to prompt us into a deeper and better worship. Really interesting. You'll also find that, uh, that worship um, with God at the center, if we can just put these up, I'm going to go through these real quick, because I'm noticing that I'm talking for a long time, and we need longer to worship, actually. Um, worship with God at the center will actually uh, have probably more than this going on, but we'll have at least this happening in it. The first one that we're often, uh, I guess, cognizant of is that worship is, is a response to what God is doing. So it's not as though we are the first people who are, we're not just the actors, you know, uh, who, who decide, oh, well, we're going to worship. It's that God has done a whole bunch of stuff, and our worship is actually a response to God. So that's why thanksgiving is so prevalent in worship. Um, I put also there that, there, that we that worship is an ascription of worth. Um, actually, the English word worship comes from that. Um, it originally was worth-ship. Um, so it's an ascription of worth to tell God, you are the one who's worthy. We are unworthy of this kind of praise. The only, the only one who we should ever talk this way to is God. 
we shouldn't talk to one another the way we sing these songs to God. Like, that would be totally inappropriate. That God is the only one who's worthy of that kind of talk. And that's kind of what we do when we praise God. It's ascribing worth. It's saying, you alone are worthy. And um, you'll find that uh, throughout that Chronicles text that we heard, um, you'll hear thanksgiving and ascription uh, throughout that. So, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Um, Sing to the Lord all the earth. That's an ascription of singing to the Lord. And you get that all those ascribes are right in there. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe uh, to the Lord his strength. Um, and, and thanksgiving over and over and over again in that text. The second one is encounter. That worship is not, it's not as though, uh, it, it's certainly not how we might think of, say, a film audience. It is much more like a drama audience. It's live. It's going on. God is here. God is present. We encounter God when we worship God. It's not just a one-way from God to us or from us to God. It's both of these things going on at the same time, that we encounter God. And uh, you'll find that as as well in the Chronicles text in verse 10. Uh, It talks about we ought to glory in his holy name. So that's not necessarily just giving God glory, but we are glorying in. Um, we're also, it also talks about in the next phrase, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. So we're seeking after God. There's an encounter involved. Um, there was even a study done in the States, I don't know the, the statistics about this, but the people who come to church expecting to meet God, they are far more likely to actually have an encounter of God, with God. Because they're, they're open for it. They're looking for it. Right? If you come to church with the expectation of, well, I wonder what that preacher's going to say today. Well, then you might, uh, hopefully you hear something good in what you, what you hear, but you're not coming trying to meet God. You're not coming seeking God. Or if you come to church thinking, wow, I hope we sing better music this week than we did last week. Or if you come to church thinking, well, I really hope that person's there because I'd like to see my friend. That's great. But that's not who you're supposed to be seeking. That's not the expectation we're supposed to be bringing. We're supposed to come together expecting that God is here and God's going to show up. What a wonderful thing to expect that. So there's an encounter. There's also a declaration, and we declare things to one another, but we also are making a declaration to the world. And this is throughout that Chronicles text as well. Verse 9, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Declaration. In verse 8, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. A declaration to the world. So we gather here. It's actually making a statement to others. It's also, worship is also a commemoration. We've kind of said this, and we do this through our ritual, but commemoration kind of means a remembrance. It's a looking back. It's a remembering of what God has done. That's in the Chronicles text as well. 
And it's throughout scripture, really, isn't it? I mean, Jesus even does that when he has communion. What does he do? Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Worship is also a receiving. It's our offering to God, but it's also a receiving from God. And primarily, I think what we're receiving from God in worship is we're receiving grace. We receive God's love, God's forgiveness. We encounter, when we encounter God, we receive from him. We also receive education. So it is perfectly fine to say, okay, I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going to learn something today. Or we receive education from one another. We learn together. Worship is also a time of mutual encouragement, and you find this in the Hebrews text, not really there in Chronicles, but in Hebrews we heard this in verse 24 and 25, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So coming together is meant to encourage one another in love and good deeds. And I would say also, particularly in today's world, coming together is to encourage one another in our faith, because it's really easy to lose faith when we get out there in the world week after week. When we come together and we can see others, we believe in Jesus together. I see other people who are also trying to practice their faith. We're not all doing it well, but we're walking together to attempt to practice our faith. You see other people, and that's encouraging that we're in this together. Worship is also intercession. Again, in the Chronicles text, verse 35, after David has said, this is what you should do, he's describing this is how you should praise God, he gets to uh, verse 35, and he says, say also, so here's a bunch of things you should say to God, say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and rescue us from among the nations. That's intercession, asking God to do something. And finally, worship, when it has God at the center, is an anticipation or a reflection of the kingdom of heaven. And it's, I'm not going to give you one biblical text to illustrate this, because this is throughout the biblical witness, that you'll find that when there are glimpses in scripture uh, of heaven and what's happening in heaven, almost universally what is going on in heaven is worship. So Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of God and his robe fills the temple. And it's really a vision of worship. And and what's happening is there's different creatures, heavenly beings that are flying around, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're singing to one another. Um, There's smoke and incense filling the temple, which is is the, the, the worship that they would have done in the temple back then. If you look at Revelation 4 and 5, Uh, John, who wrote it, is caught up into heaven and he sees what's happening and there are multitudes upon multitudes who are crying out, worthy are you, O God, and worthy is the lamb that was slain, talking about Jesus. And we get the same repetition of holy, holy, holy. And there's other places in scripture as well where you, you get a glimpse into what is going on in heaven and it is worship of God. 
In fact, the, the temple, when the temple was built, it was built to model what was believed as happening in heaven. When we celebrate communion, yes, we will hear about um, Jesus saying, remember me, so it's a looking back, but it is also a foretaste of a great banquet that is in the coming kingdom. It's an anticipation of what will be when we sit at table with Jesus himself in the kingdom of heaven. So this is worship. It's, it's not just about getting together every week and you know, maybe I'll learn something, we'll sing some songs. We're enacting and we're participating in the kingdom of heaven. When someone walks in, they, they're actually getting a glimpse into the kingdom. An imperfect one, for sure, but it's a glimpse into the kingdom. This is why it's so wonderful when we have people from different nations and people of different ages all worshiping together. Because that's what it's going to be like in the kingdom of heaven. So this is just a part. There's more than this. We could go on forever. I'm not going to do that. Um, this is what worship is with God at the center. So let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Let us instead enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Amen.